This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hello again, everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Daily Record Celtic podcast. My name's Stuart Hodge, and I'll be your host for today's voyage through all things hoop-related. And joining me in the huddle for a blether today is my Daily Record digital compadre, Graham Young. How are you doing, Graham? Yeah, very well. Good to have you here, and Daily Record sports writer, Keith Jackson. Welcome to you as well, mate. How are you doing, pal? Fantastic. Let's kick off with the weekend's match against Aberdeen, which was a wee bit less than fantastic. Lenny's great homecoming to paradise, spoilt by Derek McInnes, plucky and dogged Dons. We've heard that before, keeping them out as the Hoops failed to win at home for the first time in the domestic front this season. Now, what did you gents make of the game? Uh, I thought Celtic were quite poor. First half, it was along the lines of a Brendan Rodgers-style performance. What a possession. Aberdeen were happy to sit deep. Uh, break when they were able to but second half I thought Celtic were pretty poor the double substitution at half time didn't really work Odson Edward once again I think it was kind of caught no man's land is that kind of number 10 but was still in front of him mm. uh, I'm surprised Ewan Henderson came off at the break as well that was a big surprise to me I think Bitton the player who was probably due to come off and Aberdeen uh, were able to grow in confidence as the match progressed I thought Shinny for someone who's a free agent this guy who's Got to find a, the next team that picks him up will be really lucky because he was excellent. He's very good in the tackle and he was able to press the game against Celtic and they didn't really have anything to counter it. I thought Scott Brown played pretty well. but A different kind of role for him. Yeah, he was he was having to force the game a lot as well. He was the one who was stepping up a lot of the balls down the right and left channels. A couple of times Tolian just wasn't on uh, his wavelength and I think that's something we'll touch upon in a while. I th- his performance pretty poor but I think Boyata was the one who uh, stepped up because if Celtic didn't have boy, maybe a Samunovic in that role I think Aberdeen would have been able to maybe nick it in the end they were very good in the Is it not a case Graham that the, the, <coughs> what you got at the weekend there was a little bit of back to the future in terms of there's two points at stake here uh-huh. over the years those two points haven't really mattered if Celtic get a draw it's not the end of the world the league's yeah. going to get one and the league will get one by Celtic this year I, mm-hmm. I firmly believe but I do think you're, you're starting to get that competitive edge now. People start to lose a little bit of um, control and poise when the pressure is really on. And and we are in a, in, a, in a situation in this season where Celtic need to go over the line. There is a desire. There is, there is you know, Rangers aren't on their shoulder, mm-hmm. but they're still within striking. They're not quite out of this yet. And so I think that adds to the levels of anxiety inside the stadium. And do you know something? It's probably not a bad thing because it's it's been a little bit too easy for Celtic over the years, and it's no bad thing at all to get that competitive environment and element of of anxiety back into to Celtic Park because you know that's what that's what sport and competition is meant to be all about. It's what it's meant to produce. Um, that's not a disastrous result for Celtic, but it's an, a, certainly an opportunity lost given that Rangers had slipped up on the on the Friday night. The thing really could have been put to bed at the weekend, and it's just that little la- la- level of anxiety, that nagging thought in the back of your head: "What if? 
<laughs> and it remains there. And and for as long as it remains there, we will have an interesting run into this campaign. I totally agree, and I think you could feel that uh, the the nerves inside the stadium in the last twenty minutes. Celtic weren't playing well; they weren't particularly looking like they were going to score. But there was that feeling of a goal uh, that hit the back in the the place with a. Uh, been absolutely raw, raucous, it really would have. I think you've got to take your hat off as well to Derek McInnes, who continues to produce uh, big performances, big results at Aberdeen on a fraction of the budget uh, that Celtic have got and a fraction of the budget that Rangers have got. Um, he's a very astute manager, tactically absolutely very clever guy. Um, I think he worked out how to play against Brendan Rodgers Celtic. I think he's got the formula in his head. I think you could argue he just doesn't have necessarily the quality of players to execute it, um, but I think he knows tactically. I think he's worked Celtic out, and I think that he that he fancies his chances against Neil Lennon as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the 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 level of spending at Celtic makes it very nigh impossible. Yeah. But tactically, he knows his he knows the blueprint. He knows how to go about getting results against Celtic. Um, as I said to you, you know, if he was able to upgrade by spending three million pound on a right back and three million pound on yeah. a centre forward. He might have a better chance, but but he knows in his own head he's got the formula. He's worked it out. Couldn't agree more. And I think this season, in particular, every game's been close. There's been snippets for every game where the one 0 defeat in September. I thought Aberdeen were excellent that day again. Tolson Clare came up with a moment of magic. Cup final. There was plenty to enjoy about the way Aberdeen played. And I think Celtic are getting to that point now when they're playing against Aberdeen. It's never going to come easy. Uh, the game at Boxing Day uh, with Edward and Clare that was just moments of magic again. And I, I think there was that feeling. Guys like Scott Brown. What's the or players that play regularly can feel that moments don't come easily for Celtic against Aberdeen. It's uh, it's always got to be a challenge. No, they have to earn everything, and I think that's that's exactly what you're saying, Keith. It's, it's credit to Derek McInnes and, and the way that he can organise his teams. But you've also got to look at all of the players that Celtic had missing. The the yeah. and and the biggest one of those for me for for my money anyway is Callum McGregor. He's a massive miss in the middle of the park. He seems almost like the the kind of fulcrum that all the things happen around. He offers a dynamism, he offers a quality that I don't think any of the rest of the midfielders have got. Now, here's one for East to ponder. Has he become the Hoops' most important player now? He's one of them, uh, but I wouldn't single him out. I I, I really, I can't speak highly enough about Callum McGregor. I, I remember uh, being Scotland away watching him make his international debut and I thought, you know, already really impressed by him at Celtic. But he just took to international football as if he'd been doing it all his life. When you see a player being able to make that step up, mm-hmm. it's so naturally. And look, he's just he is a made-to-measure international football player, and he will become, in time, Celtic's most important player. Um, he's one of them right now already. Uh, Who I, is right now? Then I still think you can't look past the captain. I think Scott Brown is the is the beating heart of the side. I know that his form was a little bit patchy in this season and I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that his, his head was halfway to Australia for, for a number of weeks. Um, Quite a distance for your head to be. Yes, but then Scott Brown is no ordinary head. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> he... Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure where it was. Sometimes I look at Scott and I wonder if what's going on inside his head's a monkey playing the cymbals. But I think at that point... In time, when the Australian thing was a real live opportunity, I think it did become difficult for him to focus the way he normally does mm. on playing football. I think that you've seen since that whole thing was sorted out and the new contract was agreed, I think you've seen a return to real levels of proper form. And when he's on top of his game, he's still the most important player in the dressing room. I'm pretty convinced of that. Yeah, a tone setter, isn't he? Um, would you concur with that, Graham? Yeah, I agree. And I think the Cal McGregor, uh, talking about his rise and rise, really, 
one thing he always had, even in the early days of Ronnie Daly, his head up, and Brendan Rodgers was able to, he's not like other Scottish midfielders, so that ability to look for a pass, Rodgers really harnessed that and got the best out of him, and now you're seeing the results. You're spot on, do you know what Brendan Rodgers actually said as well, and it's very interesting, I thought, uh, kind of a bit of insight, he said when he was talking about Oliver Buck, he said Oliver Buck's not a Callum McGregor, you need to talk to Oliver Buck, you need to teach him, that's the run to make there, that's mm. the pass to... Whereas everything just comes naturally to Callum McGregor. He's a really naturally intelligent football player. And he is a joy to watch because of it. At brilliant levels of fitness as well. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Kieran Tierney to Leicester, just as a wee aside, um, Callum McGregor to Leicester in the summer. Can you see any potentiality that Brendan Rodgers would come in from, given how, how keen he is on him as a player? Uh, I, I would be surprised if he wasn't interested in him. Um, but, you know, I think Brendan Rodgers is likely to be shopping in a bigger supermarket than, than the Scottish Premier League this summer. I think that that's part of the reason that he decided to take this job, that it opens up a different level, a different stratosphere of, of transfer budgets. And that's not to say that he'd, he's not going to look at Celtic and think, you could do it, you could fit in perfectly down there. Cal McGregor, Kieran Tierney, perfect examples of players that he might well look upon as, as, as ready Premier League players. Um, I just I just think it's like the key, the kid being handed the keys to the candy shop, isn't it? I'm not sure that his first instincts will be go back to the Scottish market because he's been desperately not to have to shop in the Scottish yeah, market yeah. for long enough. I think he'll be looking at you know um, abroad and 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 trying to bring in a, a quality of player that would have been beyond his reach as as Celtic manager, as opposed to working with the same players that he had when he was there. Mm-hmm. Going for Tesco to wait, Rose, maybe. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with Leicester as well, you've got Ben Chilwell, who's our current left back. Yeah. I think that would be if he moved on, then Tierney would be a fit. But Tierney's a much better player. Than he's Chilwell. a much better player than yeah, Ben Chilwell. Pretty, pretty he reminds me a bit of Luke Shaw before he picked up his form. He's pretty stiff, doesn't move as well as Tierney up and down the wing. So uh, I, I think Tierney. Will I like Chilwell, I have to say. I think oh, he's very harsh. <laughs> well, I still think Tierney's probably just a level above, and I think. Tierney won't make a move before. There doesn't need a middle move if he's going to leave Celtic. It'll be yeah, to it'll be straight, straight to a big club. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think most people would concur with that. Yourself, Keith. Mm. I, I think Kieran Tierney could could just about pick his club. Um, uh-huh. I mean, I'm not saying when I say that, you know, I'm not saying he's ready for a Man City, for a Liverpool. Um, he could certainly do a, a decent job for Man United at left back right now. Um, so the, the, there will be no shortage of options. For Kieran Tierney, I'm not saying that he's going to, you know, walk into Real Madrid or Barcelona, but you know, and you've got to remember as well that Brendan Rodgers looked upon Leicester not as being beneath him. So it's important, that I think, that, that that you know, as as much as we get to see these guys on a weekly basis, we know that they're good players. There is the the snobbery element in, in English football, and it might well be because that is the established route that that you know you leave Celtic. You land at Southampton and then you take your pick from there. Um, and, and Leicester might well become the new Southampton. I don't know. Uh, I, I would imagine that Brendan Rodgers would be very keen not to cause any deeper emotional <laughs> rifts between himself and the football club right now. And I'm not sure that opening the checkbook and picking up the phone to Peter Lowell as, as soon as the, the first day of the transfer window opens up would be the smartest move right now. So, you know, as I said, I think you'll probably have other options, but I don't think you can rule it out because, you know, he, he knows how good these players are. And right. and that, you know, to be fair to Southampton, they were able to see past the, the kind of the, the, the snobbery that extends across the border like Adrian's wall. 
and see that you know there's value for money to be had up there and the, and they've cherry picked one or two of them who have gone down Virgil van Dijk obviously being the <coughs> Best the defender Royce, in world yeah. football. Um, I'm not sure he's the best defender in world football. I would say I'd, so. I'd certainly say that he's online to be the best player in England's Premier League this season. Um, so, yes, Southampton have proved that that model works and Brendan Rodgers will be acutely aware of that as well. And he, and he knows that he probably won't face too much stiff opposition. It might just be Southampton that are in the market with him. So, yeah, I mean, it's certainly one to keep an eye on. But as I said to you, I think he might be looking farer and wider this summer hmm. on the subject of well former Celtic defenders but looking back to the weekend again Jeremy Tolian he's another one that a lot of people are talking about after that game uh, one comment online that I quite liked said he's signed a Yanko without the physique that's, that's quite a comment um, it's obviously early days for him but it's, it's only a short loan spell so you would imagine he needs to win over the doubters soon enough you would think Greg Stewart and Conor McLennan gave him Quite a lot of grief at the weekend there. And the poise that he showed in the ball in his early displays, and that seems to have gone too with some poor touches and, and wayward passing. Gents, do either of you think he can be the answer at right back, even for the rest of this season, let alone long term? I'm not convinced. I think he's really struggled the last few weeks. I thought the game on Saturday against Aberdeen, that was, uh, was really poor. He just wasn't able to take the ball in at pace. That's kind of hallmark of Celtic fullback. Ball gets... Uh, put in the wing and you're able to take it in and drive forward he was giving the ball away constantly uh, he was really slack he put Scott Prine on, under pressure a couple of times as well and he's not getting for he doesn't help James Forrest so whatever Lustig's faults may be Lustig understood exactly how to get the best out of Forrest if he was going to go over in the overlap or cut inside often when Toyan's bombing forward they're kind of getting lost in that side of the pitch with Tierney back it's incredible considering how long he was out uh, he's, he's back to his best already and yeah. Sinclair's you can see the benefit when Sinclair cuts inside here and he knows to bomb on uh, and obviously came back in for the game against Hibs the cup game did okay I think we all, all know who Mikko Lustig is at this point he's not the player he was a couple of years ago but I, I think he's probably a better option and a, a more reliable player for Neil Lennon uh, to call upon than Tolian there's something about it reminds me of Edson Braffite uh, the left back of Tony yeah, Mobley's yeah, yeah. just he's lightweight he's, you assume comes to a big club in that case it was Bayern Munich this time Dortmund uh, he's got to be a, a top operator and he, he's quick he can um, he's got plenty of natural skill but he doesn't actually when you put it into practice it doesn't really work for him I, I, I would be surprised if he started against Dundee at the weekend hmm. I think that he's had a bit of a problem I thought was it the Hearts game at Tynecastle yeah he struggled there I mean he struggled really badly there but he looked as if he was looking around saying what have I stepped in here that yep. this is football this mm -hmm. is the same sport that I've yeah. been playing over in Germany because uh -huh. The, the you know it was Hearts were very physical, very aggressive. He, he actually had a free kick given against him for being taken out by Ipkeizu at one point, yeah. <laughs> and you saw the look in his face. And and I think Neil Lennon identified very quickly that this guy was completely out of his comfort zone in that match. And when he substituted him with Lustig, I actually thought that might be the end of Tolian. I, I think that he was. It a was Brendan, a surprise he started at the weekend. I was really surprised. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, it was a Brendan Rodgers project and not a Neil Lennon one. Mm. And Neil Lennon doesn't want to take chances at the back. He knows what he's getting with Lustig. You're right. Lustig has, you know, he's he's not sharp. He's not the player, you know, that he was athletically, you know, two years ago. Um, but but he's a hang your hat on. For Neil Lennon, uh, and I think that Neil, you know, I, I, I actually wondered if we'd see Tolian again. So I was quite surprised to see him at the weekend. Um, but I think when you go into the, the bigger games going forward now, I, I actually would expect Lustig to hold down the place. Yep. Hmm. And he actually got away with one as well. The Motherwell 
game for a few weeks ago, obviously the controversial goal and Brendan Rodgers departing in the coming uh, the days after it. But he was terrible that day as well. That he really was getting turned inside out. Harry B was yeah, it, the, yeah, the winger. Yeah, and I th- that was the kind of first everyone's I think looking around and going, well, he's struggling here. And I think Lustig, for all we spoke about his faults, it, that doesn't normally happen. It might be the odd goal where he s- switches off at the back post, but it's not ninety minutes of getting turned inside. I'm out. quite surprised by it as well, though, because I mean when he you know. First, take a look at him. You thought, oh yeah, you can see 100%. this guy's going to bring. You know, was it St. Johnson was his yeah, first man? Yeah, um, and you know, it was the, the way he was bombing on down that wing. It was exactly what you thought that Celtic were aiming for, which is a right-sided version of Kieran Tierney. Yep. That's what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does look to have lost his way. I'm, I'm not sure how comfortable he is in Scottish football, and I think maybe it's a question of adapting. Um, but I don't think he's looking like a long-term option for Celtic. I think that you know he's, he's an extra body in there until the end of the season, and that'll be about that. Do you think there's a, a sort of factor here where Brendan Rodgers had an ideal, a way of playing? His his whole sort of philosophy in the game was almost based on that that way that he set his teams out and the way that he tried to play and it almost kind of flew in the face of the the kind of traditional values that you associate with Scottish football where there's a bit more blood and thunder kind of element to it now when you look at a player like Tolian and you look at how he's suddenly looking like a fish out of water under Neil Lennon do you think he's maybe more comfortable in a Brendan Rodgers-esque setup? Very possibly very possibly because Neil Lennon has made a point right first of all He's very polite and he's very intelligent. So the last thing he's going to do when he walked into Celtic Park on day one and say, uh, see this guy that's just won seven successive trophies. Well, I'm ripping up his sisters. It doesn't work. And, you know, so he was never going to do that. But he will certainly tweak it. And the first thing that he's identified is the back and overplaying, being, being guilty of overplaying out from the back. Neil Lennon's more belts and braces approach to, to management. And it is a little bit more old-fashioned. Um agricultural, however you want to phrase it, he doesn't believe in taking chances that, that, that are unnecessary at the back and and giving opportunities to opponents. That is goes against you know Neil Lennon's whole mantra as a manager. And so, yes, I think that you know a Lustig, for example, who knows Neil Lennon's style inside out, who is you know for all his well, they say for all his faults he's still a Swedish international 100%. right back you know he's, he's a decent player but he's a defender first and foremost Lustig he, he will get forward when he can and it has become less and less over the years but that's allowed Tierney to go more on the left hand side um, I just think that Neil Lennon feels a whole lot more comfortable with the prospect of Lustig at right back than he will with Tolian although he did give him a chance at the weekend so who knows maybe he's looking at experimenting as well I don't know um, but I just I, I I just have a, a strong feeling, as I said, ever since that night at Tynecastle, I thought Lustig would probably end up back in his place at right back for, for for more games than not between now and the end of the season. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that I can I can definitely see the thinking behind that. Just talking about Neil Lennon, then his comments after the game, um, he came out with a few of the the classic cliches, said the side looked leggy, lacked imagination, all of that. But the the most interesting bit was when he mentioned about the fact that the players might be feeling a bit of psychological fatigue just caused by the whole upheaval there's been at the football club with Roger's sudden departure. Then you're boom into three games in 10 days. And I think he was just hinting at the fact that the players might have gone through quite a bit emotionally as as, as well as anything else. And it might just have taken its toll on them sort of overall. And that, that maybe led to the slightly lethargic performance you saw against Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Um, can you guys see a bit of merit in what Lennon's saying there? I think he kind of walked into what he was saying. There's been a bit of criticism online for Celtic fans saying, well, that's the kind of thing that Brendan Rodgers wouldn't say to the media. 
Uh, but then again, Brendan Rodgers is the one who walked out in Celtic, so you're left kind of picking up the pieces. I think overall he's talking about the game, using a lot, like you were saying, it was lacking imagination. They just maybe, I think he was looking to try and justify the performance, really. And I think it's probably understandable the way it's been a hell of a week. You know, I know you can go back <laughs> to training and you've got the full like, seven days to get back to basics, but there's probably some kind of um, <laughs> overspill for the kind of week that uh, had gone previous. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. And either the, I, I, I think there's more more to it. The performance, I think you need to give Aberdeen plenty of credit. They were excellent. You know, and that if you're playing a Dundee or a St Martin, it might have been a different story. Can three four now, so I think there's probably. I think time will be a healer for Celtic, but also you need to give Aberdeen their props as well for how they played. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Now, let's roll back the clock a wee bit into the middle of last week and just for a minute bask in the glory of the fact that Ajax scalped Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. It's the kind of result that gives you hope that football's not completely enslaved by cash being king. But obviously their side will be stripped for parts in the summer. Frankie de Jong's already off for £75 million. Nice wee fee there. Um, so I would say enjoy that kind of thing while we can. But for Celtic, there was also something to think about. Chris Sutton said in his record sport column last week that Ajax have shown Celtic that there's no excuse for failure in Europe now. Celtic's wage bill is actually £10 million a year more than that of Ajax, and surely that shows Celtic that they, they can compete if they manage to get the balance right. Now, that's offset slightly by the fact they have spent quite a bit more in transfers than Celtic in that time. But, Keith, do you think Chris has a point that Celtic can potentially get to the latter stages of the Champions League again and compete? And if so, what's the key to making that happen? Um, I understand the argument. Uh, but if it was as simple as that, then wouldn't everybody just be copying Ajax? Mm. You know, Ajax have got a formula. They, they, they work really hard in terms of youth development, and not just in Holland, but all across Africa and, and, and other countries. Um sorry, other continents, but they, they, they get established links into South America as well. I think it's, you know, I think they've worked really, that hasn't happened by accident, and, and, and if it was as easy as, well, if Ajax can do it, everybody else, let's say, well, do you know what, all you need to do to win a golf tournament is play more like Tiger Woods. It's, it's not, it's not, it's, it's very easy in theory, it's not so simple to put into practice, and Ajax have, have worked hard and have done it year on year on year on year. Um, Celtic are achieving, a, 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 I would say, an acceptable level right now. They're not pulling up any trees in European football, but they're kind of par for the course, to keep the golfing analogy going. Um, it could be possible for them to do better. I think that Neil Lennon, if he stays, would, would certainly have an eye on you know, the last 16 because you all remember um, the achievements there previously. But you know what? The game has actually moved on a lot since Neil Lennon was taking Celtic into the last 16. Yeah. The golf has got bigger. Mm-hmm. The TV money involved, has the, the gap has widened significantly again. So, you know, it is really, really difficult. But yes, look, you know, you cannot deny that Ajax, time and time again, although let's bear in mind as well, it does come in cycles. You know, Ajax haven't been performing at that. It used to be Ajax would get to the last four of the Champions League. Yeah year on year in the in you know the 80s 90s won it in 95 um, yeah. yeah i mean i've been to a couple of the finals that they were playing and and, and at that point in time they, they were just a, a a solid performer year on year and and you'll see you know the financial difficulties that have affected 
Dutch football the same way as affected Scottish football. They've had have had an impact. But, you know, this year, this current crop, they've got it right again. And they will get it right again. And whether it's two years' time, as you say, the team might get dismantled, they'll start again and they'll have another Ajax side there in four or five years' time. But as I said to you, it's not done by accident. It's not just as simple as saying, well, if Ajax can do it, anybody Mm. can. Yeah, 100% agree. One thing that Ajax have got in their favour as well is a couple of the more senior players like Dusan Tadic, Mm -hmm. uh, Daley Blunt. That's the perfect storm where... Get two guys who've got plenty of experience in the Premier League, yep. and you've got this crop of young players. It's just the perfect mix. And Keith says it might be a different team next year. It could be like you say, Ajax coming again. It's a um, it's a really good side they have this year, but it's so difficult to keep it up. It's a great feel good story because it doesn't happen anymore. It's a status quo year on year in the Champions That's League. That's it. I think and a lot of people are getting tired of that as well. Yeah, no, that was brilliant, and I think. I think what added the value of the Ajax results is people remember the great Ajax teams, the 90s, that kind of bringing their own players through. And watch them play, it was, that was that. It was, it was a magic feeling watching that game last week. And they played it so, they were so brave. They attacked Real Madrid from exactly. start to finish. It wasn't a oh, smashing grab on, job. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. made it so special. You just need to look at the way that the, the quarterfinals are lining up already. Though. It, is a, it is completely different from anything that we've had a, a, over the last five, six years. There's yeah. some Names that keep, you know, like Porto, uh-huh. they're the Portuguese version of Ajax, aren't they? Of course they They keep doing it, you know, but not necessarily every year. They might go away for, for two or three years and then yeah. come back reformed and a different mm-hmm. um, a different team, a different approach, different players. But, you know, that's the, these clubs, you really need to take your hat off to them because they have found a way of doing exactly what Celtic will aspire to, which is, you know, not accepting that the Champions League has gone for good. Not just accepting that you're now a Europa League club as opposed to a Champions League club, but finding a way. Now, it might not happen every season, but if you can find a way of getting there every you know, four years, five years, whatever, well, that's good enough because it means that your ambitions are still high. And I think that's important that Celtic have those ambitions. But it is a lot easier said than done. So see, see on that that basis then. So I mean, you had Monaco a few years ago in the Champions League, and then their team gets stripped of all their players. Yeah, and well, that then was an interesting year. That two thousand and four. It was uh, Monaco, Deportivo, Chelsea, and Porto. And mm-hmm. I think this season, it's, there's still going to be some big hitters in there as well. But you've got it's more. It's the first game of really open Champions League in a good while, especially so, Real Madrid going. How, how did Celtic then make that step from from where they are now to being a Porto or Ajax kind of kind of level? And now, now let's not forget Ajax. I think it's the last three years before this they went out in the qualifying rounds, and then they've gone and they've got to the latter stages and they've pulled out well, a result you, like that this is, year. But this is part of the problem. Uh, there, there are in different environments. Well, it's just perhaps not just quite as frenzied as Scottish football. Maybe you are given a little bit more time to build something. Um, mm. You know, Neil Lennon's not going to be given time to build anything here. Neil Lennon's objective is get to eight. Once you've got to eight, you know, let's reassess things and go for nine. There's no breathing space here. There's no time to take a three-year approach to, mm-hmm. to building a side. Everything has to be done yesterday. Otherwise, you're out of job. Um, and, you know, it, it's great if you can bring in a team of youngsters and say, we're going to give you three years and you get you might get knocked out in the qualifying stages that year, but we'll keep playing you, we'll keep playing you. And seeing three, four years' time for now, you'll be actually ready to play Champions League. And then once you've done it, we'll lose you all, but we'll we'll get an absolute fortune. Um and and that that's a that's a different model. It's a model that Celtic can't look at because the importance, priority one, priority one, every day of every week of every month at Celtic Park is win the next game, win the next trophy. 
and that's just part and parcel of the Scottish environment, certainly at Celtic Park, uh, which does make it more difficult or certainly more pressurised for a manager to come in and say, well, do you know what, guys, forget the League Cup this year. Yeah, I, I know Brendan's won the last year, but never mind that. Just let me put something, because how long do you think that's going to last? No. The guy would be chased out down London Road. So, so that is uh, that is the environment that Celtic have to work to, and not just the managers, but also the chief executive. Hmm. It's a fascinating point. Just on the on the Ajax subject as well. Now, Frankie de Jong, wonderful footballer, right? Nobody's arguing with that. But seventy-five million pounds, right? That is ridiculous sums, and we all know that at the top end of the game, the money's gone absolutely cocoa banjo. It's, it's crazy amounts of money now. But why are players in Scotland not going for those ridiculously exorbitant fees? Um, just as I mean, this is very much just a pull it out of the air one. How long's a piece of string? But how much do you reckon Celtic would get for Kieran Tierney? Do you reckon they'll get fifty million? Kieran Tierney's a top class player, right? He's young, he's still got a ceiling, he can still progress. All of those things that you would look for when you're looking at value in a player. Now, I personally doubt that Celtic will get fifty million for him, and they should, right? But Frankie De Jong's gone for seventy five. There's no way that Kieran Tierney's like a, a, a significantly worse player, right? Or, 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 and, and Kieran Tierney's playing in one of the most important but the positions market in the game. The market dictates that. The fact that Manchester City were pulling up trees trying to get De Jong, Barcelona ended up nabbing him, Bayern Munich were interested as well. So you're, the market dictates the value. Mm-hmm. So Kieran Tierney, obviously, I, th- I think everyone would imagine with the player who would go would break the fee for Moussa Dembele. But it depends on I the interest. I think they'll be doing well. I think they'll be doing well. He's a left back. You've got to keep that in yeah. mind. And I know it's. it's not saying for a second that quality left backs are ten a penny because they're not, um, but they're not match winners, and I think that that generally you know the clubs are that, that are, that are going to have that sort of money to spend. They're spending it on guys that are actually going to be match winners. And Kieran Tierney, I think, is a great player, but I don't think you'd ever put him into your pitch or put him into your starting lineup thinking we'll win the match today because Kieran Tierney's playing. Is Frankie De Jong really a match winner? But he plays that Barcelona. That's the value because Barcelona have lost Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets is nearing the end. Contr- so control a match. Mm. Yeah. Aye, dictate the tempo. Control a match. And, and you know, and as Graham's saying, that it's, Barcelona, it's the Barcelona way. If you control the midfield, then you're, you, you, you win more games than you lose. And that was always Barcelona. Best players, most influential players in the centre of the park because, you know what, we'll just have the ball for 90 minutes. And that is the way that they played. You know, it's a, it's a, it was a very different position. You know, great that we've got uh, guys like Kieran Tierney, Andy Robertson's doing spectacular jobs at Liverpool. It's fantastic for Scottish football. I just wish we had a centre mid <laughs> or a striker. That mm. there was the envy of the world that was, you know, that was, you know, playing down and being valued uh, by clubs down south or, or performing the way Andy Robertson is at Liverpool. Give us a kingdom. We've got two left backs. Any chance we could have got a midfield <laughs> player or a striker? Hundred <laughs> percent. I think that's some. That's a frustration we all share, Keith. It's, it's just for ages the one position you looked at in the Scotland team. You're thinking, when are we going to get a good left back through? And then <laughs> little London buses, huh? Um, excellent. So, just on the subject of sort of transfer fees and, and and kind of things like that, Neil Lennon said he spoke to Lee Congerton about transfers during the week last week, and over the last few days, some names have emerged. Now, they all seem to be related to the defence. There's Thomas Callas, the Chelsea defender that's been on loan in the Championship for a few years, kind of solves two problems at once, and he plays centre half and also plays at right back. So. 
um, you can see why he would potentially be appealing to Celtic. Well, he's an interesting one as well. The fact if you're talking about right back, he's if we're talking about Tolyan and what Lustig used to do, he's not a right back in the sense he's got to be bombing forward. So that he is yeah. a tall, strong. If if you've got Tierney down one side, it would definitely change the dynamic. I'm saying it's a younger version of Michael Lustig. Yeah, he is at that style. He's big. He's big and strong. Uh, he looked pretty good at Chelsea. A couple of, there was a couple of League Cup games he played. Uh, those games, Stamford Bridge, where they would win quite handily. Something about him as a player, Mourinho, I think, quite well. Played him the day that Stephen Gerrard's infamous slap that. He started that game. Did for, he? Yeah, he started for Chelsea that day. Uh, he was excellent. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, obviously, in the dugout as well. But uh, his <laughs> career's kind of plateaued slightly. He's played six, seven different clubs, hasn't he, in the last few years? So well, I think he's probably in that Boyata situation when he joined Celtic. A lot of different roles looking for a kind of full-time move. Yeah, he's a player that... I mean, I think that's the the kind of sad thing now is Celtic are looking at those kind of players, players that are maybe in the Championship because no Premier League team wants them down south. Mm -hmm. So that makes them a viable proposition coming to Scotland for them because they can then think, all right, you know what, I'll go, I'll prove myself at Celtic for a few years and then maybe a Premier League club will look at me. And that's that. you can see why that would be... That would be of benefit to Callas. Um, another name that's emerged in recent days is the Red Star Belgrade defender, Serjan Babic, um, who has been chased by Besiktas, but Turkish media have reported that Celtic are also keen on him. Um, I mean, obviously, with a lot of these European names, it's quite hard to, to sort of give too, too sort of forthright an opinion on him, but again, seems to fit the mould of a sort of, kind of strong defender that would be very much a replacement for, we imagine, Boyata's going to be off. Benkovic is going to go back to Leicester. Um, I mean, there, there's a definite need to address that for Celtic. How do you see them approaching it just general, in, a, in a more general sense? I think it's a bit of a problem because, as we were just discussing there, right now, Neil Lennon can't afford to look any further forward than the next game. Um, he is battling in there to establish himself for the second time around as Celtic's manager. And, you know... Great, somebody wants to put a folder and dossier in front of you and you know look at this potential target for next season. Right now, Neil Lennon doesn't know if he's there for next season. So, you know, he's got to just focus, and I would imagine 90% of his attention is, is on nothing more further forward than the next game, the next three points, winning that league, getting that Scottish Cup. If he can get the treble, then, do you know what? I can get to the end of the season, I can take a big deep breath, I can have a conversation, a cup of tea with Peter Law, and we say... Right, are we moving this forward? Okay, yes, we are going to move it forward, Neil. Here's a new deal. Now, look at the squad. Oh, my God, look at the squad. It needs a complete rebuild. <laughs> now we've got a problem. So I think, it's, it, well, that's the case. You know, right now, Neil Lennon just has to look after Neil Lennon, and that means looking after Celtic's interests on the park of, of the weekend. Um, and I'm not sure that Lee Congerton's there for the long run now. No, he's been linked with a move away. So, you know, I think that could be... A, and I have to say, it's the one thing that I would that I would say, and it's... I don't mean to criticise Brendan Rodgers. I'm not sure it's a Brendan Rodgers problem, but it seems to have been a problem, a disconnect, somewhere along the line where, where Celtic's pre-planning has not been good at all over the last 12 months. And it might well come down to the fact that inside Celtic Park there was a belief that Brendan Rodgers, this would be his last season. He'd go in the summer, therefore... There's no point trying to put the cart before the horse here and looking at players that we don't know if a new manager is going to come in. Everything looked very short-termy mm. um, in the January window, and it's left Celtic with a huge problem. Um, yes, they're in great position. Of course, they're in great position. They will win the league, I think. I, I would fancy them to, 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 to win another treble. But then you look at what needs to be done 
before the Champions League qualifiers, and it's going to be a mad scramble. Yeah. Um, because, you, you know, what if a bid does come in for Kieran Tierney? That's you lost your left back. Well, if Toljan goes back to Dortmund, well, there you don't have a right back now. Your two centre-halves are gone. Well, that's a whole back four that you need mm-hmm. to put in place before well, the Champions League as well, so it's just well, it, a minefield. It seems to be a challenge every year as well, because if you, I mean, if you look at the summer there, you had Lustig and Bayata both went deep into the World Cup. That's why yeah. Celtic weren't really ready for as a whole, as a as a defensive whole going into the Champions League qualifiers. Again, that this is this is what is unfair on, on Scottish clubs and Celtic in particular because they're our representatives. Um, in the Champions League, you know, but I'd, I'd say the Europa League clubs as well. It's just not fair. We're working on a different calendar, a different annual calendar to everybody else. And, 100%. You know, these clubs, or the, the, the big countries, your France, Spain, they can go to World Cup. They're still going to get three weeks sitting on a beach someplace when it's all over mm-hmm. before they even have to think about the first day of pre-season training. Whereas our schedule, it, it, there is, it's, really, it's really heavily tilted against Scottish football. And we know the reasons why. We're a small nation, we've underperformed. Our, uh, our clubs haven't haven't you know really carried the flag for us in European football, but but it is really unfair on a club like Celtic because you don't have time to get your planning done. You don't have time to sort your summer out in the way that clubs do in other leagues around the world, and it presents you with a massive problem because there's thirty million pounds at stake. And it changes the way you recruit probably as well because if you had all the time in the world, you could be more patient. But sometimes you just need to make a move, and I think that will be the case this summer as well. There's so many positions to address it's Lustig there's a good chance he could get offered one more year just because of the situation I think it's really and look at the team Celtic are playing now Alishkirt last summer uh, but miles ahead of a team like Lincoln Redimps so you're playing the champions of Armenia they're not complete diddies these teams can play a bit they're not you need to be play pretty well on that night Edward and Bailey scored a couple of goals so there's it's not as if you're able to just kind of work your way into it. It's a hard graph from the first game and you've got four rounds of that, so it really needs to be addressed. And let me tell you something, if you're trying to install an entirely new back four, uh-huh. or at least three members of a back four, if you're, that's, that's, that's incredibly difficult work at a time when you actually, you're not getting enough time on the training pitch to, to implement your ideas, to get it together. That, that's really difficult. Um, and so I don't know, look, you know what, I'll go back to what I was saying earlier. Was it Brendan Rodgers? Had Brendan Rodgers made out his mind? This was his last season. If so, well, do you know what? Can you really blame anybody for saying, well, you're not gonna, I'm not going to let you sign another Marvin Comper in January. Um, we'll just go with what we've got. You can take a couple of loan players, get Buck and weigh in, and we'll just go, get to the end of the season. You can't blame Celtic for, for doing that if they, if they felt that Rodgers was going to leave. At the same time, you can't really blame um, Rodgers for... for for not planning beyond the season because, you know, it's just a difficult situation. And the other thing you couldn't have is people always saying, well, tell you what, Brendan Rodgers, if, see if you're not going to stay beyond the end of the season, then just go now and we'll bring somebody else in. Yeah, you're going to get rid of the guy that's just won the last seven. So it was a no-win situation in many respects. Celtic are where they are at this point uh, with, with an eye to next season. It's far from an ideal place. There is a lot of really significant work that will have to be done um, as soon as this season is over and, and they will need to move like lightning in order to get it all in place. Just on the topic of that, 
when, I mean, you're more connected to the Scottish football matrix than me, Keith, I'm, I'm not going to make any bones about that. When, when do you think the point was that Brendan Rodgers made the decision to leave uh, if it was at the end of this season? Because is there an argument that if Celtic had... Now, you've just mentioned all the problems with the, the qualification campaign for Europe and all the hurdles that that puts in the way. But do you think if Celtic had have spent decent money on the position that needed addressed, which was, well, there was probably two at the back. You needed a centre-back and probably a right-back in in the summer in time for at least the final Champions League qualifier against the AK Athens. There was the whole situation with Boyata. It was just really messy around the club at that point. Now, me reading between the lines, and as I say, not being quite as connected into things as you, that looked to me at the point where Brendan Rodgers went, do you know what? That's me, I've reached the glass seal, and this is as far as I can go. When do you think the point was no, where think, he I went? Think, I think you probably read that correctly. I think that, um, and at that point as well, you know, and I've got, I, I really like Brendan Rodgers, so, you know, I'm not going to be too critical of him, but I, he was a little bit naughty because he painted a bit of a target on Peter Lowell's back uh, that summer past because of the, the transfers, the, the dead ends that Celtic were finding in terms of recruitment. Uh, and there was no doubt that there was, you know, a little bit of manoeuvring being done, uh, and, and it left Peter Lowell looking pretty exposed. Um, and I, I, do you know what? I, I, I know Peter Lowell. I know Brendan Rodgers. I think when you get two very strong characters like that, and you think that the relationship is in danger of breaking down or has, or has hit a speed bump, certainly, it can be pretty hard to come back from that. And, and I th- I don't know if Brendan Rodgers made up his mind before the, the transfer window had closed. I don't know if he made his main, mind up the day after the transfer window had closed. Or I don't know if it was another two months down the line. Um, but what I would say to you was, I believe there was uh, more than just a feeling inside the club that this would probably be uh, Brendan Rodgers' last season. And I think that would date back to, you know, certainly a good couple of months before Christmas time, I think that it was it was starting to become pretty obvious that that was the direction it was heading in. And hence, you know, maybe that was exactly what we were talking about earlier, the, the January transfer window wasn't a good one for Celtic, um, but it all looked purely short-term. And I short think when, when you saw the signings that were being made at that point, you think to yourself, yeah, well, all the kind of road signs that we, we thought we'd seen, I think we probably have. Um, not that any of us expected them to be in the next car down to Leicester mm. when he did, um, but but yeah, I think there was a there was a general feeling around it that I'd be very surprised if Brendan Rodgers was going to be at Celtic for another season after this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, so I mean, just looking at the. <laughs> It's almost like Celtic are in a weird limbo at the moment when you've just highlighted the fact that, right, Neil Lennon has to focus on the here and now and make sure that the treble treble's delivered if that can happen, right? He's also got to, from a personal perspective, make sure that he he puts in the best addition he can to get the job for a second time on a permanent basis, right? So that's, that's situation number one. Number two, you've got Lee Congerton, who's this transfer sort of uh, savant, that, that were made to believe that's that's meant to be the man who's out there. He's identifying targets. He's saying, right, here's who we should go for. This is why we should fill these positions. He's presenting that data or information to Peter Law, who's then the man that's actually got the budget, and he's saying, right, okay, here's what we're going to spend here, here, and here. Now, if you've got Lee Congerton, who could well be off ski as well, 
right? You've got Neil Lennon, who cannot really plan for the long term because he doesn't know if he's going to be there. Peter Lobo, who doesn't know who he's going to be planning for the long term with because they don't know if they want to give Lennon the job again yet. Then, and the situation of Celtic are going to be right slap bang into European qualification as of the start of June. How on earth do Celtic manage to get their situation sorted? Now, obviously, this season is a glorious time for the club on the field. You've got the treble treble that they're on the cusp of. It's it's unparalleled success from what we've seen in Scottish football before. But how do they manage to sort everything, especially with the resurgent Rangers, Aberdeen and Kilmarnock strong at the top of the table? Hearts and Hibs can obviously sort of pull things back up as well. There's there's so much there that's that's on Celtic's back now, and and they they're sitting with their squads going to be decimated in the summer. How do they actually get to a point where their team is, is even nearly ready to go by the time the European qualifiers come along when you put all of those factors in together? Well, when you put it like that, Stuart, that was well summarised there. I think for Celtic, it's the case of managing the situation. Obviously, it's not perfect. It's just got to be a case of, like you say, identifying targets as well as they can, Lennon on the field, trying to get results. Contract future doesn't look certain long-term at Celtic, so it's just the best, so the targets he's identified, you work around that. I remember Gordon Strachan's uh, first summer at Celtic, that was a real upheaval after Martin O'Neill, and he suffered the media Bratislava result, and yep. I think to Strachan's credits, actually massively underrated the job he was able to do in the wake of that, pulled the second leg back to respectable scoreline, mm-hmm. and got guys, there was a I think maybe nine or ten new signings. Someone like Ali Adair was quickly shipped back. Was Beatty and Maloney were doing well, and I think it will take someone like that, a Lennon or a new manager, to move at pace because it's, it's unforgiving. These qualifiers added with the start of the league campaign. Imagine Stephen Gerrard and Rangers. We don't know how this season's going to end up, obviously, but I think they'll be improved over a more settled team. There's massive pressure for everywhere to succeed, and I think whoever's in the dugout, that's where the real test comes from. Is Peter Law can do what he can, Leach, Conjurer, and whoever's involved in the signing process but it really does come down to the manager their ability to mould and develop new signings into a team I think that's where they can that's where Celtic will make their mark in the summer and moving forward hmm. Any thoughts to offer in that? It's Keith? just a tricky one all round you know but in many ways as we've been discussing it's you know Celtic are almost a hostage to fortune on this one um, they they didn't decide when Brendan Rodgers was going to leave um, they couldn't pull the trigger on him they, they just were facing the situation that they were facing. And they will go on this summer to face the situation and have to try and deal with it in the best way which they can. Um, but but, it's, but yes, there, there is no doubt about it. I keep coming back to it. It's not been a very um, well thought out uh, strategic approach over the last 12 months, purely probably on the basis that Brendan's situation was was likely to come to a head, um, but it has left them way behind the eight ball, I would say, in terms of how you how you start to look again now at next season when you've got these, you know, your wares and your bucks. If they are going to go, you know, right now, bucks are a pretty central figure to everything. Um, you're going to lose Benkovic, your best defender. You know, uh, Boyata looks certain to go. So these are the... Real, real, real difficult issues for any manager. And if it was Brendan Rodgers that was in charge of it, he would find it a really difficult situation. Oh, so it's uh, you know there's there's no way of sugarcoating it. Celtic are in a very strong position to end this season, but once they've got to the end of this season, and by virtue of the fact that we've just been talking about it, it has been so show, show short term, 
Um, it does require a starting up again in the summer, and you know, it's going to require some some pretty nimble ducking and diving in the transfer market, some significant funds, and some you know good uh, identifying or quality identification of uh, recruitment because um, there's a lot required. It's, it's just there's just a whole bunch of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Aye, there's a, there's a lot in the cards. But listen, we can't be all doom and gloom. It's a good time for Celtic in in terms of the fact that the club are still on course for the treble treble. Um, I mean, if, not I don't know if you two are betting men, but if he's were, would, would you guys still back Neil Lennon to to win all the trophies in front of him at this point? I think I still think they're favourites to win the, both competitions individually, but there is a pressure, and I think Neil Lennon probably feels himself a lot of those Hamden kind of horror shows for his first reign. And people forget he won two Scottish Cups as well. It wasn't like he couldn't win domestic cups to go with the league as well, but got beat off Morton at Celtic Park though. Yeah, of course. Of yeah, but I think I think there's a pressure. I think Lynn feels that pressure. I think he's desperate to succeed for Celtic. That's just the club means everything to him. He's desperate to do this, but I think the league part. Like Kenneth still need to play Rangers on two occasions. There's plenty still to play from the run in. But I think the Scottish Cup handling could well be against Rangers or Aberdeen. Uh, it'll certainly of, be against one of them. Yeah, but it's <laughs> definitely I'd hedge my bets there. But uh, I think I think there's a, a pressure to win the Scottish Cup this season, I really do. I think Lennon would obviously desperate to make it happen. I think he's he's under enormous pressure and he'll put himself under enormous pressure to yeah. win both the league and the Scottish Cup because mm-hmm. anything less than that you leave yourself open to, well, see, you're not as good as Brendan. Brendan would have won that. Brendan yeah. never lost a trophy. This was your first chance at the Scottish Cup. You can't even win it. That's all coming Neil Lennon's road if he doesn't win it. Um, but I suspect that he will. Uh, I think well, you can't underestimate here how smart a manager Neil Lennon actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in many regards, the time of the Brendan Rodgers things was, was really poor for Celtic. But in one sense, the fact that Neil Lennon was there and available and ready-made for it... Um, this is a clever manager. It's not Brendan Rodgers. He will do things in a different way from Brendan Rodgers, but he's a successful manager with a track record of success, and he knows how to build a football team. Um, he also knows how to win trophies. Uh, I, I would be astonished if he made a mess of the league campaign, having inherited this team with an eight-point lead so close to to the finishing line. Neil Lennon will get Celtic across that line. The Scottish Cup is the big one, but as I said to you, I think that he knows his job, long-term job aspirations depend upon him completing this treble. If he doesn't win the treble, there's going to be too many pointing fingers and saying, you you know, we're already moving backwards. And now, it's absolutely insane that Celtic's manager now needs to win a treble in order to keep a job. <laughs> but that's where it is. No, that's and where, and that's where Brendan Rodgers has left it. Um, because it will just people will just turn around and say, see, we told you. Neil Lennon's a step back in the wrong direction. He's not good enough. He's already lost one of those trophies. Go and get a big sex in him. Flip side of the coin, mm-hmm. Neil Lennon wins the treble. Is there a situation where he wins the treble and doesn't get the job? Just to, to give the latest manager odds, you've got Neil Lennon's evens. He's his favourite to get it. Marco Rosa at 5-1. to one. Roberto Martinez at 7-1. to one. Henrik Larsson at 10-1. to one. David Wagner, who who got Huddersfield to the Premier League at 12-1. to 1. Jose Mourinho at 20s. That's maybe something to do with his comments and, and being sports about how, how big a club Celtic are. And then uh, just in the in the outskirts of that, Philip Cocu at 25-1. to 1. But do, do you think do you think there's a situation where Lenny wins the treble, but Celtic still go, nah, thanks Lenny, cheers for that, but we're still we're, we're going with this guy? I think there's more to it than just 
you say it and win the treble, but the emotions that would be involved in the only and win the treble would be huge. Like, exactly. So I think you need to go through that for the fans and supporters to see their team do it again. It'd be a massive thing. Obviously, hold off that would probably involve a couple of wins against. Uh, Steam Gerrard side in the league as well. But then so the pressure flips to the board, doesn't you, it? You cannot go the other way on this. You cannot say to Neil Lennon, Neil, we have been left right in the middle of uh-huh. a dreadful situation and we're asking you, pleading with you to come back in and help us out of this mess that, that we've been left in. He comes in, he wins the two trophies that are available for him and then you say, Neil, thanks very much and off you pop. That's not going to happen. Neil Lennon will be mm-hmm. the Celtic manager on a permanent basis. I have absolutely no doubt about it if he wins the two trophies yeah. uh, that are available to him. So uh, are we basically saying then here that if he wins the treble, he gets it. If he doesn't win the treble, he doesn't. I think it probably is, is, is as clear as that. I think Neil Lennon's yeah. pretty much said as much himself. I think that's that's yeah. just the rules of engagement. That's the terms. That's yeah. when he walked into that position, he knew what it was. He knew you know, the situation that he was walking into. He knew what Brendan Rodgers had left behind. He knew the legacy. He knew all about the trophies. He knew all about the clean sweeps. And he knew that, that failure from this point onward cannot be tolerated, given what had just gone before. Mm. If he wants this job, he's going to have to win the two trophies. Now, Celtic could go another way. They could say, right, OK, you didn't win the Scottish Cup, but you've done a great job. I, I just don't think that that's a likely scenario. And I think the problem that Neil would have was there are a lot of Celtic fans that were not convinced that it was a, the, the, the right appointment that Neil Lennon because he'd, he'd been there previously never go back the, that group will grow if Neil Lennon doesn't win the Scottish Cup and and what you want what I would want if I was Neil Lennon is momentum bounce yes I'm the guy that's just won that treble now you know that was Brendan Rodgers next year it was, it'll be my team and we're going to go for 9 and 10 and do you know something if Neil Lennon was the man who started it and ended it and got to 10, Brendan Rodgers by that point becomes a footnote in Celtic yep. history. That period of time, as brilliant as it was for the Celtic sports, we would have enjoyed it and the un, you know the, the untouchables and um, a fantastic period, but it, it becomes a footnote because Neil Lennon, you're the guy that started this, you're the guy that finished it. It's all about Neil Lennon. So it's an incredible opportunity for Neil Lennon as well. Um, and I just don't think he's going to let it slip through. So I don't imagine for a second that he will. Um, which is why, you know, I've said since the start of this um, recording that, that I, I would strongly back Celtic to win the league and the Scottish Cup. Excellent stuff. I think it was just that added bit of pressure we're talking about there, saying about Lennon's obviously his hand and record was a bit patchy at best, but he's also got that pressure of Rodgers being able to clean sweep at Hamden. That's something he will have to overcome. Uh, and I think he's good enough to do it. Keith's touched on a couple of times about his tactical ability. I think that's so underrated about Lennon. He was so good at getting guys like Mulgrew, Ambrose, Matthews playing in multiple positions the first time around. I think he might start seeing some of that now. He's been able to put his uh, own stamp in this team as well. Yeah, and I think it bodes well for Celtic in Europe that given that Brendan Rodgers was a bit of a slave to his, his whole philosophy and trying to out Barcelona, the Barcelonas well, of the not world. Stop, start dissing Brendan. No, 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 no. We're not dissing him, but we're saying that he was he was a little pig-headed. <laughs> he was oh, a little people. pig-headed tactically in Europe, Keith. Surely you can't argue with that. Yeah, uh, I think there was an old argument that I had with him um, season one, and it's you know about at what point does a manager adopt a pragmatic approach in European football um, rather than a more idealistic one, which we didn't necessarily see eye eye on but but I can see exactly where he was coming from he believes it was for the betterment of the players 
to continue to play the football that they play in Europe and uh, not to be terrified by the, the thought of stepping up in Europe, proving to themselves that they belong and that they can play football at that level, the kind of football that they play domestically. I understood all that. And then getting scudded six and seven. Well, that's that was the thing. Because what you can look back on now is says, well, did Celtic really make that progress? You did stick with them. You weren't pragmatic. Do you really feel that the players made those leaps and bounds? Maybe you could argue they have. Maybe in Callum McGregor, you could say absolutely. Maybe in Kieran Tierney, you could yep. say absolutely. Individuals. Man. So, so you know, I... I I can. I think there's merits in both. You know, I, I would go back to Walter Smith's run to the the UEFA Cup final as the absolute case study of a manager using pragmatism to get results which ought to have been way above the sum of their parts. That was Walter Smith's approach. It was entirely the opposite approach for Brendan Rodgers. Yeah. Who's to say who's right? Two good uh, managers. I'll tell you what. I still maintain that Celtic's best performance in Europe that, that I've ever seen was when they stood toe-to-toe with Man City at home and drew three each because it was the way that they approached the game, the way they played. Yep. I've, I've said that before. But that though. whole first Champions League, the away draws in Mönchengladbach and away to City, there was loads of light in that first campaign. It just mm. didn't quite fall that, on that. Was that. It. That was it. It was, the, it was probably the highlight in terms of the European stuff. Gentlemen, we're going to have to stop because otherwise we could stay here all day and talk about all things Celtic. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to everyone that's listened. That's all for from us this week. You can join us next Monday when we'll be back with another episode of the Daily Record Celtic podcast. Don't forget to subscribe iTunes or Acast and that way you can listen as soon as the podcast is available. And if you like us, please feel free to review and rate us on there as well. No, don't bother. (laughs) Aye, if you don't like us, don't bother. (laughs) Now, until the next time, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you later.